We've got some things coming up in the next couple of weeks. Easter is just around the corner. We've got all of these things. I know that, that we still have people that celebrate and, and practice some things during Lent. And, and, and I am, specifically, I am practicing this one specific area. I am this year, unlike any other year, I am attempting to do what Jesus did. And it was actually Catholicism and liturgical practices that inspired me to look into not just the 40 days of Lent leading up to the crucifixion, but to look into what Jesus was doing 40 days before his crucifixion and three days later his resurrection and for 40 more days his revealing himself resurrected to 500 people. So I am committed to doing what Jesus did during that time. And if you want to know some of the specifics of that, you passed it on to me. Some of the specifics of that, you can watch our message from Wednesday night, but I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you this without you even having to watch. Jesus was just ministering to people. That's what he was doing for 40 days. He was serving and ministering See, Jesus fasted and prayed for 40 days in the wilderness alone in preparation for the ministry that he was about to go do. And and if you're fasting and preparing, I'm I'm with you. Fast again. I'm not because I already did that in January. If Jesus tells me to, I'll do it again. But I like meat, so I'm going to eat it. And I didn't do that already, and we'll do that again in the fall. But specifically this year, actually out of the inspiration of the liturgical practice of Lent, I want to minister and serve and look for opportunities to God, for God to use me in the next 40 days, even more so than I had been previously, because I want to do what Jesus was doing leading up to his crucifixion and sacrifice, but even more specifically, the resurrection, which brings life and brings that life in abundance. Now, I believe it was the resurrection that was the exclamation of the promises of God. And those exclamations were given in Exodus chapter 6. There's four of them we've been talking about. And the first one is that I will bring you out of Egypt. And we've been looking, digging deep into that. That's salvation, to bring you out of sin. Here at this church, we call that knowing Jesus. That is our our time for knowing Jesus. It's the first thing we do. It's the first thing we focus on. The next promise is that I don't just save you and and stop, but I saved you for for freedom. It is is for freedom that I've set you free. That is is the word of God. I've delivered you for freedom from sin, not just salvation out of sin. The next thing, we're going to talk about this next week, but he says, I will redeem you. I will repurpose you. Like I'm not just going to take everything out of you and then you sit around a worldly, deaf, mute individual until, until this trumpet sounds. That you can just sit back in your salvation recliner and wait for Jesus. No, I've redeemed you for another purpose. We're going to talk about that more next week. And then finally, we're actually going to spend an entire series leading up to Easter discussing the fact that God took us as his own people. He put us in a body for a purpose. And we believe here that that purpose is to impact eternity. And so if God has done something in you and he's doing something in you, then the next phase for you is that you would begin to learn learn how He wants to use you to impact someone else's eternity. I said last week, salvation is received in a moment. Salvation is received in a moment. But deliverance, freedom, redemption, and fulfillment, that may require some mileage. Everybody wants the moment, Right? The decision and the destination. But listen to me. This is good news, by the way. Jesus is interested in the distance between the decision and the destination. Like he doesn't send you in on, on a trip and say, okay, see you when you get there. 
catch up. Good luck. No, he doesn't do that, right? He doesn't just leave. And the camera's like, whoa, okay, I'm back. See, he doesn't just leave you and say, okay, I saved you. Now figure it out on your own. See you when you get to heaven. Now, I love the old song, when we all get to heaven. It will be a great and glorious day. But listen to me. There's a lot of stuff to be done between now and then. And I can fix my eyes on things above and not on earthly things and still be fixed on the Spirit of God that can lead God and direct me to walk with the Spirit and therefore not gratify the desires of the flesh. God is freeing me just as he saved me. And and guys, listen, it's a process. And, And that will take you, hear me, from this day to the rest of your life. And and hear this warning. If you stop, if if you disconnect from the process, and I personally believe if you stop coming to church, if you stop serving the Lord through his body, because you can't love Jesus and not like his bride. It just doesn't work. You say you love me, you gotta love my wife too. If you don't love her, you don't like her, guess what? You don't get to have relationship with me. But when you connect and you stay connected... You can't help but grow. You can't help but grow. And it's not all about the church. You've got to have a personal relationship with Jesus as well. But there's something about being connected to the body and being involved in the process and learning how to pray, learning how to study God's Word, developing these things. It will take you the rest of your life. And listen, hear me. This is the phrase. You can write this down. If I stop... I will stagnate. If I stop, I will stagnate. It will happen. And ultimately, I will be worse than I was before I ever met Jesus because James says, woe unto the person who knows what to do and yet does it not. That's part of the process. It's all a part of God's promises See, we take that and we turn it into persecution. It's not. It's not persecution. It's a warning because that's not what God wants for you. That's not what he has for you and, and, and your family and your friends and all the people that you have influence with. What does God have for you? Well, he has those promises, but let's break that down just a little bit further. Number one, I gave you these last week. We're going to dig into the middle two a little bit more today. Number one, God wants you to have victory over sin. Come on, somebody. That's good, right? He wants me to live a victorious life. Like, Jesus' life was, per- was perfect enough, his life was perfect enough, his death was deep enough, and his resurrection was powerful enough that when I am saved from sin, I don't have to continue in it anymore. Like, I'm not just, hear me, I know it's an old song written by the, or performed by the, specifically the cathedrals, it's an old gospel quartet, and I love those guys, but their doctrine stinks sometimes, because I'm not just a sinner saved by grace, any more than I'm just an adulterer in a marriage, okay? I am not just a sinner saved by grace, I am a child of God, set free from my sin, and delivered for the sake, I'm a slave to righteousness. Now, it doesn't mean that I never mess up. It means that though I may stumble. See, I'm not going to wake up tomorrow morning and go, you know, I'm probably going to sin today. I'm not going to roll over to my wife and go, baby, just want to let you know, probably going to look at something I shouldn't today. Probably going to speak to someone in a way that I shouldn't speak to them. I'm probably going to fall short of God's glory today. If I have that attitude, then why in the world do I even believe in the resurrection? If Jesus doesn't have resurrection over life, and I don't have resurrection over life, then what in the world did he pay such an ultimate price for? Listen, I can be free. I can have victory. Well, I don't have that. I'm glad you have it. I don't have it all the time either. But I don't stop. I don't stop. Though I may stumble... May, I will not fall, for the Lord will uphold me with his hand. Because he's a father. He's not a flicker. (laughs) 
All I, you know, you get these old pictures of God, like, like he's Abraham Lincoln in the memorial, you know, and you got the little people, our freedom group have seen this, the little people on the card and they're all falling off like little stick people. And God's like, depart from me, failure, failure, chastise thee, smote you. God, that's not who he is. Whoever drew that did not know my God. They didn't know, hear me, the father to the fatherless. They didn't know the friend that sticks closer than a brother. They didn't know the one that loved me so much that he was willing to give heaven's only and heaven's best so that I would have to step over the dead body of his son in order to not be able to accomplish his will in my life. He is such, he is such a good Daddy, he wants me to have victory over sin. I'm freed from sin. Paul said in Romans 7, 25, thank God that the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. The answer is in him. So you see how it is in my mind. I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave. But he doesn't stop there. Because in that passage, Paul is speaking in retrospect. And he's trying to teach people the difference between the law and grace. And how our faith, in Romans 3.31, our faith causes us to uphold the law in a way that we never could have were it not for Jesus. Thank God, Jesus, the answer is in Jesus. And freedom from sin is the fruit of salvation. So we observe man, are we really free? And if we're not, we begin to aspire to not be settled or satisfied with being stuck in the same old sin over and over again. Number two, this is where we're really going to dig in today. Healing from our wounds. I, I believe that this is a safe translation, okay? But this is my interpretation. Don't take this as a biblical absolute. But one day when I was reading and even preaching on Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, which Hebrews 12, 1 says, because we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and cast off, the, cast off every weight and, 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 and the sin that so easily entangles. And I just began to think about, you know, the weight, it could be something that we pick up, but a weight is pretty easy to put down when you picked it up yourself. Right? If I pick something up, I'm like, that's harder to carry than it is to let go of. So I just throw it down. But if someone throws something on me, that's a little bit harder to let go of. So I interpret the weight that holds me down and hinders me as something that was thrown on me from somebody else. We talked about the sin that so easily entangles. That's the decisions that you're making, that you can control and change and stop doing. But the weight that holds us back and hinders us, sometimes that's harder to let go because we didn't ask for it. It was thrown on us. We don't even want it, but we're not always sure how to let go of it. God wants us to have healing from our wounds. Listen, he wants us to have and offer forgiveness. We're going to spend probably the bulk of our time speaking on forgiveness. And I need to tell you, in order to tell you what forgiveness is, and again, our freedom curriculum people will recognize this and how it just divinely echoes itself. But I need to give you a few things that freedom or forgiveness is not. Number one, forgiveness is, it's not minimizing the offense, okay? That's not what it is. It's not that you just decide to neglect that there was ever an offense. In fact, it, it does just the opposite. It is actually a, a recognition of guilt. Forgiveness, you have to recognize that there was something done wrong, whether by you, if you're holding yourself in contempt, which is guilt, or against you, which is holding someone else in contempt, which can cause bitterness. 
And it can cause you to be hindered in your relationship with God. But when we say forgiveness, what we're not doing, hear me, is we're not minimizing what someone did to you. We're not minimizing the offense of what happened. Let me tell you what else forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. It doesn't necessarily mean that the relationship is reconciled. Just because you offer forgiveness or you place that person in Jesus' hand, it doesn't mean, Jesus said, turn the other cheek, but after I turn my second cheek, you slap me again, friend. I'm not going to be a doormat for you to walk on because then you might slap my family. And if you slap my family, you're dead. Like I didn't, Jesus didn't ask me to give up my kid's cheek. I'm just letting you know right now. Or my wife. Like I can get ignorant when somebody says something stupid to my wife. If you, never mind. If you want me to lose my position, say something dumb to my wife in front of me. Like I just, I go back like 15 years. All of a sudden I just become this other person. Forgiveness is not necessarily reconciliation. The last thing, forgiveness Forgiveness is not forgetting. Okay, listen, a lot of people say, that, and I don't, I don't think they mean anything by this, but, but God throws our sin into the sea of forgetfulness. When you ask him for forgiveness of a sin that you've already asked forgiveness for, he doesn't even know what you're talking about. Friend, come on, man. Like, God's like, what? No, God doesn't do that. The Bible says that the Lord knows all things. What the scripture says is, that he cast that sin as far as the east is for the west, and he remembers your sin no more. In fact, he doesn't forget. He intentionally does not remember it. Like, he recognizes it. He didn't forget about it. But he says, I choose, hear me, I choose to see you for who you are in my son, not who you were apart from him. I choose, it's so much better than a God that forgets, a God that decided to remember my righteousness over my rebellion. That is good stuff. So forgiveness is not forgetting. How do I, let me take time, if I want to restore the relationship, maybe I'm, I'm offering forgiveness and I really want to restore the relationship, let me give you a couple of things that's going to take. Number one, it's going to take repentance. It's going to take a changing of our mind. It's going to take a, a turning away from the wrong action. In other words, you can offer forgiveness all day, but there will not be reconciliation in our relationship if you did something to me or my family, as long as you're continuing down the path of sin, I can place you in the hands of Jesus. I can let you be forgiven in Jesus' name. I can even experience the freedom of spiritually forgiving you myself. But we are not going to have relationship as long as you're continuing down that path. There is a, there's a requirement of repentance a changing of mind and a turning away from sin and to God. And there's some powerful reconciliation that can take place when people turn to God. I'm, I'm powerful. I don't even have time to tell you about the, the husbands that have forgiven wives and, and the mothers that have forgiven rapists. I mean, just crazy forgiveness when repentance happens. The next thing it will take is, is restitution. There will be this need to attempt to make things right. And actually, this is a byproduct of repentance. And you see this in Zacchaeus when he realized that he needed to repent and receive salvation. There was just this byproduct in his heart because he recognized what he had done. He, just, he wanted to do everything that he could to make it right. And to reconcile relationship, listen to me, you can forgive someone without reconciling the relationship if they're not necessarily will, willing to go through the restitution, to, to make it right, and that they haven't truly repented. In fact, you probably need to wait until you see those two things in them until you, before you just open yourself back up to them again. And number three, there will be a rebuilding of trust. It's not, it's not supposed to happen overnight, guys. It, it, forgiveness is an instance like salvation. But reconciliation, forgiveness is a decision that happens in a moment. Reconciliation will take some rebuilding of trust, some proven consistency 
over a season. Well, I said I was sorry. Good for you. Your words honor me, but your heart is far from me. Prove it with some longevity. I mean, it's been two weeks. Okay, let's, good. It's not necessarily bad. Let's aim for two months. When we get there, let's try another two weeks. And let's earn our place back in with people, not just saying we want the right thing, but showing them. Remember that, that we work, we're working on this so that re- the results are a byproduct of our salvation. The results are a byproduct of our repentance and our restitution. Listen, these things are not required for forgiveness. We're talking about reconciliation. But this last one, this rebuilding of trust and this reconciliation, ultimately, it has to happen between God and us in order for us to walk in the freedom that he has for us. Because we're not, we're not satisfied with just being forgiven. Do you, are, you, are you with me? Like, just being forgiven, I'm not satisfied with that. I'm thankful for that. And that is the inspiration for everything else that I aspire to. But I'm not satisfied with just being forgiven. I want reconciliation. I want a personal, authentic, and genuine relationship with Jesus and my Heavenly Father. So I'm thankful for my forgiveness, but I don't stop there. Let me show you what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is recognition of what Jesus has done for us. Well, And some of you are going to say, well, Chris, I don't have a problem with that, but you don't know what was done to me. Hang on. Just buckle in with me for a second. Because you're right. And I'm not going to try to stand on this platform and address every individual, in, in, individual attack, whether by man or powers and principalities of darkness, that have happened to you in your life. But I know, I know this, that in order for us to experience and offer forgiveness, it has got to start with a recognition of what Jesus did for us. A recognition of that without Him, we are and can be more fallen than anybody else is. Well, I'm I'm, I'm a better person than them. You may be a little bit better than them. The problem with that is, is that they aren't the standard of righteousness. He is. So the first step, the first step to forgiveness, just like the first step to salvation, is knowing Jesus And what Jesus did for us, it's a recognition of what he did. Forgiveness is, number two, it's freeing. Like there's freedom in in finding forgiveness for yourself and someone else. I love forgiveness. Uh, Some different pastors over time, different messages, or maybe even a book I read it in at some point. I don't remember who to give credit for, so I know it didn't come from me. But I heard that forgiveness... It's like opening the door to, the, to your own prison cell. It's like, it's like unlocking the door and walking out of a, of a self-imposed prison. I've also heard that, that unforgiveness, it's, it's like drinking poison and hoping that it will cause the per, other person to die. Unforgiveness, I heard this one. It's like setting yourself on fire so that you can that you can hold on and burn the other person at the same time. Okay? That's not, God's, that's not God's will for you. It's not even God's will for them. Because the last time that I checked, the Bible scriptures is clearly says that it is God's will that none should perish, but that all would come to repentance. Do you know what else the Bible says? The Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So when you begin to learn to forgive, you're not forgetting. You're putting it in the hands of an almighty and sovereign God and knowing that God is in control, so I give him control. I'm not going to try to hold on. I am free of having to hold on to what Jesus paid for. I'm free. It's freeing. Forgiveness is, number three, 
It's a choice. Um, my wife does not always, for those of you that know me and you're, you're a little bit closer to me, and I wish I could just be great friends and close with everybody. I just I can't. I would love to be. Uh, but for those of you who have just seen me a little bit more personally and not just pulpit, you know that I'm, I'm a little bit of an aggressive individual, just kind of by nature. Um, you know, sometimes, sometimes I'll clean a cutout with alcohol when I could have just used Neosporin. You know what I mean? It's just kind of, and, and I was, I'm careful of that. And God's, that's one of the areas that, that God is working on in me. So I have not arrived. Thank Lord. He hasn't given up on me yet. But so sometimes I'm a little hard to forgive. <laughs> I'm a little, a little too brash and, and she wants to forgive me but she just doesn't feel like it. And that's, that's my fault most of the time. And I don't have a problem admitting that, which is the first step to freedom, by the way. So, but I love the fact that we don't allow our feelings, temporary feelings for one another, to determine the ultimate impact on our marriage as a whole. See, we have to choose, especially when we don't feel like it. We have to choose faith over feelings. We have to choose forgiveness over feelings. We have to choose faithfulness over feelings. Why? So that something temporary doesn't damage something eternal. Did you hear that? Our objective is to, the reason we're making the choice is not because this scene is not very painful, but the reason that we're making the choice is because we understand that this is just a little more than a season. It's just a scene in the ultimate story, not just of our lives, but of our existence. And so we decide we have to choose, even coach ourselves into deciding. Sometimes against the will of the other individual, we have to coach ourselves into choosing the eternal over the temporary so that something temporary does not have an eternal impact on us. Refusing to allow the temporary to damage or even have an effect on the eternal. Rather, we do just the opposite. We take the big picture We take God's story, Genesis to Revelation and beyond. We take God's story and the eternal, and we let that perspective affect our feelings because feelings will follow faithfulness. But if you're not careful, faithfulness will follow feelings, and feelings will lead you astray. But faithfulness will lead you back to the cross. Every time. So we choose. It's a choice. Choices lead and and feelings follow. Let me give you the last thing. Because forgiveness is, it's actually required. Forgiveness is, it's required in Christ. In other words, the scripture is very clear. Freely you have received, freely give. If you can't forgive, then you tie God's hands of forgiveness in your own life because you're holding yourself and other people. You are holding them hostage to the bitterness and the unforgiveness that's not from God. Hey, listen, hear hear me. Good news. God will never ask you to do something that he hasn't already done himself. That's why one of the seven things, Jesus only said a few things on the cross. And one of them was his humanity's need. Because God, Jesus was 100% man. He was tempted, tried in every way, and yet he was without sin. He was 100% man and 100% God at the same time. So the God side knew what he could have done on that cross. 
The God side knew that he didn't have to stay there if he didn't want to. But the human side knew that he had to be able to offer forgiveness. And in that moment, because the humanity of Jesus Christ needed to be able to offer forgiveness for an unjustified cross. Listen to me. I know your cross was unjustified. I know that the shame that was put on you is painful. I understand that you didn't do anything to deserve it. But listen to me. Jesus carried the cross up the hill of Golgotha and he stayed on it so that you don't have to stay in that pain. So that you don't have to stay stuck in that mess. The things that you didn't deserve, Jesus purchased you a way out of. The debt of what you did not deserve has already been purchased. And so Jesus, with arms wide open, was able to stand on the cross and say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know any better. But thank God I do. So in my humility, I can offer, I can offer this forgiveness. Because my humanity needs that humility. He had to offer it. His humanity needed it. He had to forgive. Well, Chris, I want to forgive. I'm just not really sure I know how. I'm not sure that I can change that. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's what that verse was written for. It wasn't written so you could score a touchdown and be glorified. It wasn't written so you could hit a home run in the World Series and celebrate yourself. Not that God doesn't care about those things because He loves you. He likes for you to be, you know, but He's not willing to sacrifice your character just for you to be celebrated. That's another sermon for another day. That scripture is about stuff like this. Things that really matter. You can, in Christ, receive and offer forgiveness. Let me help you. Again, it's just too good not to share. And if you've never been through a freedom group, man, I hope that you jump in next semester in the fall. And if you're in one right now, I hope that the Holy Spirit begins to lead you to become a leader so that you can help other people experience what you're learning and experiencing. But when we don't know whether we can forgive, we need to remember that when we are betrayed, Jesus was sold out by one of his 12 best friends for some silver. Judas sold him out. So when we're betrayed, we need to remember that Jesus was betrayed by one of his... Actually, the man that he put in charge of the money box. Like Judas was the secretary treasurer of the 12 disciples. Jesus put him in charge of all the money. And yet he still sold him out and betrayed his friend over some money. So when you're betrayed, you need to remember that Jesus was too. When you're lied about, you need to remember that Jesus was falsely accused by offended people. He was falsely accused by people that did not like that they were apparently losing their position. Because when people begin to lose their position, like the Pharisees and the religious types, they begin to do anything and everything that they can to maintain their comfort. That's why Jesus was always so adamantly against that religious, judgmental, pharisaical type attitude. The arrogance of the Pharisee was something that Jesus could not do anything about. So he addressed it head on. And you need to remember that when somebody lies about you or they try to cheat you to get ahead, it's just because they don't know who God is. It's because they don't know who put them in that position. They have forgotten who they are in Christ and they think they've done something to earn what they have. But Jesus went through the same thing. When we are rejected, you need to remember that in his time of greatest need, his disciples, his best friends, left him alone to die. In his greatest time of need, 
the three that he took everywhere went to sleep instead of interceding on his behalf. When we're betrayed, lied about, rejected, when we're humiliated, I want you to remember that you serve a Savior that was spit on by people that he could have slain instantly. He didn't just endure the cross. He endured the scrutiny of rejection and humiliation. They made a crown of thorns and mocked him. So when you're being made fun of, you can remember that you serve a Savior that was willing to be mocked and humiliated and made fun of and even crucified in the shame of a Roman cross. Cursed is a man who dies on a stick, who dies on that wood. He was cursed, and he was lifted up in front of everyone, naked and ashamed, just as Adam and the woman were in the garden. When we are abused, I want you to remember that Jesus was beaten and bruised. He was crushed for our iniquities. But the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And listen, by his stripes, we are healed. We, we are spiritually, physically, and emotionally healed. When we are, Jesus was. So, whatever he is, we can be too. When I ask you this question this morning, I want you to write this down and ask yourself. Can I release... Can I release those who have wronged me? Can I release those who have wronged me back to God? Or would I trade my forgiveness from God for the right to hold someone else accountable? Hear that. Would I trade my forgiveness of all the things that I've done, maybe not as bad, but Jesus died once and for all sin, would I trade my forgiveness for the right to hold someone else accountable? That's the question that we're asking. As we move into number three, that we have authority over the enemy. How good is that? Is that just forgive and get trampled on? No, you have the right to tread on serpents. Come on, that's good stuff, somebody. Like you can walk over the top of the evil that used to trip you up. You can learn how to dance over the things that used to damage you. You can learn how to worship and praise over the top of the things that you used to struggle with. That is good news that we have authority, but we cannot assume. So Ephesians 6 verse 10, a final word. Apparently this is important. Paul wants to know. Like I waited until now to say this. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. I want you to remember that Paul wrote this from a Roman dungeon that he didn't deserve. Okay, you need to remember that. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on, you put it on. He saved you. He's freeing you. He's done the hard work. Now put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. In other words, we are fallen people in a fallen place around fallen angels. But God. But God against evil rulers, authorities that I've seen, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And I'm talking about having authority, not emotion, for the record. And let me show you a story of emotion. Uh, emotionally, I've taken authority over things when I maybe should have just been a little bit more stable. I was speaking and we were helping lead worship at this outdoor rally and, and some rain was coming and, and I just got all excited and emotional and I rebuked the storm in the name of Jesus. And guys, it rained. I'm talking about like it rained. Did it rain? My, the whole of my guitar. I mean, I could drink out of it. It was raining, y'all. And I was like, 
God, that was, I didn't get mad at God. I was like, that was dumb because there's some farmer that was probably very grateful of that rain in that dry East Texas place, barren desert God sent me to for a little while. This is, he's probably very grateful. But then one time I was on a mission trip and this guy came into the sanctuary and, and he was manifesting demonically. I don't know whether he was being emotional or, or whether it was authentic and I don't really care. It was when I got up there, he was, he was sitting there and he, he looked up at me and he went like that. And I said, hey, stop that stupid mess. In Jesus' name, you're already free. Quit doing that crazy junk. And he goes, Rawr. So now let's talk, crazy head. There's also been times where I could sense something in the atmosphere that I didn't like. And so instead of just assuming that it was going to be okay or get better, I prayed. I prayed. And I haven't always done this. But sometimes God will allow you to sense things. And you don't have to just hope for the best. You can put on the armor of God. If you don't have any anointing oil, then you can just pray over every threshold. And you can know that in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. You remember what happened to 7,000 demons in one man when Jesus was walking towards them? They couldn't even stop the man from running to Jesus. They're screaming the whole time. Ah, no, no. He was possessed. 7,000. For every one demon that fell from heaven, you got two fighting on your behalf. Take authority over the enemy. The way that you do that is by learning the Word of God, getting in the Word of God, having a daily devotional. If you don't have a daily devotional, you're not setting yourself up for success. Every day, get on version and find the devotion. Get in the analog Bible. <laughs> Chucky, I'll never forget. It's so funny. The analog Bible and read one Old Testament, one Proverb, one Psalm, and, and or one New Testament chapter. Walk through the Word of God. Why? So that when fear arrives at your doorstep, you can say, oh no, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And He didn't give me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. When anxiety attacks you, you can say, no, no, the Word of God says I can be anxious for nothing but in all things through prayer and petition with thanksgiving in my heart. I can make my requests known to God and the peace of God that transcends the mind and the heart is the same peace that I can stand in right now. When I need financial provision, I can remember if my bank account is not lining up. Now listen, if it's not lining up because you're spending more than you make, then you need to learn stewardship, not spiritual authority. That's a new message for another day. But if you have the stewardship in place and you've been given and the enemy begins to attack you, you can remember that the righteous have never been forsaken, nor their children ever begging bread. If you feel attacked or afraid in your own home, in the own place, then you can take the book of Psalms and you can write it on a card and you can speak it in the midst of that fear and you can say, no more shall they breach our walls. No more shall we cry in this city. No more according to the word of God. In every instant, in every place. If you're sick, he took up my infirmities. He bore my diseases and I will receive my healing in this life or the next. So you can stare death in the face and say, you have no sting. You have no victory. Every answer is right here. It's right here. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Then, don't try to resist the enemy on your own. He will kick your tail. He's smarter than you. Been doing this for a long time. You have a real enemy. There are real powers and principalities of darkness. You don't, you don't go up against them alone. And listen, you don't have to. Submit, therefore, to God. And then, resist the devil. Because when you are in Christ, He has to flee from you. 
draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now watch this. After you submitted to God and you continue to draw near to him, now cleanse your hands, sinners. (laughs) Thanks, James. I was feeling really encouraged until you reminded me of who I can be outside of Jesus. Cleanse your hands and purify your hearts. You double-minded sinner. (laughs) Thank you, brother of Jesus. But Paul reminds us, Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So I've given you the spiritual authority, and let me close today with this number four. It's the last one. Last week I told you to evaluate relationships. This week... I don't want you to just evaluate relationships. I want you to establish healthy relationships. Listen, isolation is the enemy of healthy relationships. God told Adam, it is not good for you to be alone. It doesn't mean that that every man's got to have a woman in his life. It's not what it means. In fact, the Word of God says that you're better off single. Some of you. Now, some of you need to get married and stop burning with passion and living in sin. I'm just saying. But some of you, some of you, you're you're actually better off. Just you and God. You and Jesus. And you're not even distracted by things that married people are. You can focus all your energy on Christ and Christ alone. But isolation is the enemy of a healthy relationship. You were not created to be alone. Your associations can affect your anointing. Guys, that's good news. That, now, now, bad associations, yeah, I need, to, I need to put some boundaries on that. I may need to cut them off completely. But I can also surround myself with people that have what I actually want. And I can associate myself with, with believers and people of, of the same heart and the same mind. One mind, one accord, one spirit, one Lord. That's good stuff. If I can connect myself with those people, then I may become more like Jesus just because they are. Share your secrets. Yeah, I know. I don't want to tell anybody anything but Jesus. You're right. For forgiveness, only Jesus provides forgiveness. But you will always be as sick as your secrets. I I will always be as sick as my secrets. So we're talking about forgiveness and freedom, remember? So what we're really talking about is being open and accountable and authentic, not judgmental. So confess, I love this, confess your mess. We're all in the same hospital here. But the great physician's name is Jesus. And he's already been through everything that we're going through. So he knows exactly what we need. Last scripture, jump down to James chapter 5 verse 16. Because 1 John 1, 9 said, confess your sin to God. He's faithful and just to forgive. James 5, 16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. We want to, we want to just create the biggest family of God. Like, I'm not talking about dysfunctional family because there's all kinds of families. I've been in all kinds of cities. They got more churches. They got people. You've been there, right? And they call themselves a family of God, but they dysfunctional. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the body of Christ, the family of God, that we confide in one another, that we check in on one another, starting in our closest relationships and and working our way out from there. That we truly meet people in the house and outside. And we all grow closer to God together. Why? When you confess your sin and you pray, you receive healing, and the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces, here's the result, watch, wonderful results. Even in the midst of things that we don't like, we can still, in Christ with one another, produce wonderful 
results. Father, right now, here's my prayer today. God, my prayer is that every person in this place would make a decision to join this spiritual journey. God, that they would commit to healthy relationships. Come on, let it be more than words. Lord, I I commit to this spiritual journey. I want to develop healthy relationships. I'm not going to jump ship. I'm going to stay on board. I'm going to stay the course. I'm going to engage in the battle. Lord, I'm going to to find and, and form connections with other believers. Lord, I'm going to go through next steps, discover more about myself, and I'm going to remember what I heard about when I was in there and, and join a team of other people who are serving this church so that we can prepare to serve all the people that aren't here yet. I'm going to form community. I'm going to join in this spiritual journey. Come on, right now, God, I'm going to take off the mask. I want you to, one of my, I didn't ask permission to share this story, but right where you sit, believers and unbelievers alike, I want you to imagine yourself in in a prison cell, sitting in the back corner in the dark alone. Right now, in Jesus' name, in your mind, in this picture, I want you to stand up. I want you to turn and face the door of that prison cell. Walk forward and grab the bars with both hands. Push it open. And walk out. In Jesus' name, may we not just be saved. But may we take the next step of forgiveness for ourselves and the people that have wronged us and be free. It is for freedom that you set us free. Now with every head bowed, every eye closed, some of us in the sanctuary right now, before we can take the next step, we've got to take the first step. And the first step is all about knowing Jesus. The first step is all about receiving salvation. The first step is a free gift, Paul calls it, in the book of Romans. It's a free gift made available to you. And this morning, if you recognize that your life is falling short of God's will, if you recognize that that you've been more stuck in your sin than you have free in your Savior. And this morning, the first step for you is knowing Jesus. Asking for forgiveness. Receiving salvation. And turning away from those things and turning to God right here in a moment. We're going to pray a prayer in 30 seconds. And if you want to be included in that prayer to receive salvation or recommit your life to Jesus. I want you to lift your hand right where you are. We're going to pray with you. Thank you. I see you. Anybody else?